I mean, I'm no miracle worker and I feel like people need to know that editors are not miracle workers. And sometimes when we don't have enough footage or maybe the footage that we want, it could be really frustrating. Like sometimes I'll end up grunting or screaming in frustration, but I mean, I have to remind myself that like, this is what I have. Like I have to make it as good as possible with what I have. And sure, it might be like all sometimes anger in the beginning. After you see it finished, it's very satisfying. And I feel proud sometimes that I could take something that maybe was not as good in the beginning, but I ended up making it into something beautiful. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 15th episode of the Unofficial Lost Year Film Podcast. I'm joined by Chris Kenton and new to the show, Azucena Chavez. Say hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I love the variation of intros from people. It's great. I know. Today's topic is editing tips, tricks, and um, required production experiences or items. So, Azu here is a editing emphasis major, which will soon be scrapped in the new BFA. But she is one of the few people to go through the editing emphasis at La Sierra University. So, Azu, before we get into the questions, you want to introduce yourself, um, give a little background, and what you've done? Um, well, hi, I'm Asusena. I didn't start like the film, I didn't really have an interest in film until actually getting into college. So that's my background. <laughs> I've been learning through college and I mean, I've been able to do it. So anyone can do it if they really try. So what projects have you like worked on? Um, mainly just school projects like during classes or projects that other classmates have done that they've um, blessed me with that I can edit for them. <laughs> <laughs> which is really nice. What made you get into the editing side? I mean, it honestly started in high school when I had a YouTube channel. I just filmed like silly videos and I edited them. And I just, a lot of my friends also had YouTube channels and they said that they hated the editing. They just wanted to upload and just get the videos done with. But I actually liked the editing because I was able to film something of mine and make it into something else, like make it funny, make it sad. And I really liked that control that I had. So I think from then is when I actually liked editing and that's why I was able to kind of be okay with majoring in film in college because I did not start with that in mind. I wanted to be a music major, so. <laughs> and you're like, mm, let's do editing instead or eventually. Yeah. Nice. What is it that really like makes you have fun in the editing and post-production process? I mean, the power that I have. <laughs> 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 because like, I don't know, I can make something really bad or something really good. And it's up to me to decide what I want to do in a way. <laughs> I don't know. I just... And it's just fun to see how everything just comes together. It's like very satisfying at the very end. It's like, oh, I did a good job. 
Um, Chris, Kenton, what do you guys think is great about the post-production process and editing? I think Azu kind of nailed it already. Like you have so much like control and ability to manipulate how a story is being told that it can almost become a completely new thing. Like we talked about in previous episodes, how writing gets done when you write a project, when you make a project, and then when you edit a project, and it can be completely different all the way across. And I think like it takes a really creative and technical person to be able to take something like a bunch of pieces and somehow put it together into a cohesive story that's palatable. So editing to me is like one of those like huge key points that people need to learn when they go into film school. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. And I'd also like to add on that. Like we've been told in classes many times that a film is made in three different stages when it's written, when it's shot and when it's edited and the editing is probably the most important one because it's the final one on it. And that's what the people are going to see when it's out and available. Definitely. I think rewriting in the editing stage is probably where the most drastic changes happen. Um, or, I mean, of course, from like comparing like their idea to script point, that's, of course, you know, major change. But like in editing, as far as like rewriting the story, I feel like that's where a lot of things can happen and things can change and the entire mood can shift or the entire story can shift in the, in the process. Okay, so when like you start a project or when you have a project, like what's the first thing that you guys do when you edit? Well, I sync all of the footage because that could take quite a while, like a couple days, even weeks. And then <laughs> I just watch everything, just everything completely. And then sometimes from watching stuff, I could like make notes to see like which takes were good or make like little sub clips. Um, and then that will help me when I start to make the assembly cut. Nice. Uh, yeah, for me, uh, whenever I film something or if I get something onto my desktop or whatever, I usually just take the time to just organize it. I need to make sure I know which clip is which. I need to label things. I need to cut out all of the, you know, the slating and all the free stuff and like cutting all the clips down into a manageable, you know, parts I can actually use and not just all of the extra fluff on the front end or the back end. Um, and I just kind of line it all up in the timeline. And like, as I was saying too, like I watched through all of it, which like she was also saying could take several weeks, depending <laughs> on how much footage you have. Um, but it's, I think that's the part where you kind of can see where different parts can put together when you actually spend the time to like only see the story through the camera's lens versus seeing it when your story mind, when you wrote it or when you were shooting it. But then just seeing what's on the frame, that gives you a completely different set of tools to then, you know, eventually put together later on. So I think it's so important to be able to, like, digest it as its own thing after you've shot it and after you've written it. Any thoughts, Kenton? Um, well, I don't really have much experience in editing, but what they said seemed very insightful and good practices to keep especially just the part of going over all of your footage because and organizing too because you need to know what you have before you start to work with it yeah i think what you guys said are all valid points um i think for me when i started like shooting and editing in high school i think there's a very when you when you shoot things you generally know what you have 
at least in like especially when you're doing like event stuff so like at least in high school like doing those type of events and just like making highlight re videos and reels we're just like oh i kind of know what happened here oh i know I, li I like this shot when i shot it um and then putting it together in highlight rule but as far as like narrative short form or you know documentary or anything like high level i think it's very important to you know look back your footage and then like you're saying as you like kind of take your your selects um and things that you like and uh putting them you know on a layer above or like you know making sure that you know where they are in the timeline so you, as you, you talked about you know the assembly cut you know what are for people that don't know what are the, you know the stages of editing i'm sorry can you repeat that yeah what are like the different stages of editing yeah. um well, I mean, everyone kind of has their own way of doing things, but typically it's, I mean, you organize all the footage, you sync everything, you watch it, and then you start to make your assembly cut, and then you go doing a rough cut, and then you just keep making cuts until you get to, like, the final cut or the picture lock cut, I think that's what it's called, um, and yeah. I like to think of it as like kind of like um, sculpting. <laughs> it's like you have a block of clay and you have all this information. You're gonna have to take parts out, carve things out slowly and slowly until you get the masterpiece at the end. Oh, a masterpiece, I love it. <laughs> An analogy. I think like the analogy is really, really powerful like the way she describes it. In a lot of editing, you don't exactly have the luxury of adding something back in. You're only taking away things that are kind of distracting from what's underneath it all, so to speak. And so I think her analogy works really, really well because as an editor, you're trying to find, okay, well, what is the most important thing that I need to like get to? And how do I remove all this extra stuff that's getting in the way of that? And so I think it's a really an interesting analogy and a really good one to be able to like describe it like sculpting you can't really add a ton back you can take a lot away though yes you can definitely take a lot away from like the amount of footage that you have in the beginning but like i think the one thing that i would add to that is i can also modify and change along the way you can you know switch an arm here <laughs> switch it with a leg <laughs> and make it completely something drastically different and that might be what you want so mm -hmm. um you can always change and modify, and like if you guess, like, if you have the money, you can reshoot. But um, <laughs> with the caveat, yeah, yeah. Um, what are like the motions that kind of go through as far as like you know your assembly, the rough, the fine, and picture lock? <laughs> you want me to be honest? <laughs> yeah, completely. Well, depending on the type of footage I have, sometimes. I mean, I'm no miracle worker, and I feel like people need to know that editors are not miracle workers. And sometimes when we don't have enough footage or maybe the footage that we want, it could be really frustrating. Like, sometimes I'll end up grunting or screaming in frustration, but, I mean, I have to remind myself that, like, this is what I have. Like, I have to make it as good as possible with what I have. And... Sure, it might be like all sometimes anger in the beginning. After you f see it finished, it's very satisfying. And I feel proud sometimes that I could take something that maybe was not as good in the beginning, but I ended up making it into something beautiful. 
That's nice. Chris, continue. Oh, man. Like, she, no, she's nailing it so much where it's like, I mean, for my own stuff, like, I've, I rarely edited someone else's footage, but for my own stuff, at least, whenever I'm editing it and looking at it, you kind of get this weird, like, frustration, with, especially with yourself, that you didn't film enough or you didn't film more. Like, there's so much stuff that you're looking at in your timeline and you're just like, man, if I only had another shot of this and maybe if I had a better take of this, if only I had, you know, a better close up here or maybe some movement or something. It's so frustrating as a filmmaker to kind of have to go through that process and learning about I'm missing a ton of footage here or I'm missing a key thing that I would have loved to put right here. And in a way, it's really disheartening and really frustrating, especially if you're just an editor and you just have to deal with whatever someone gives you. And it's more frustrating to me personally if I shot it or if I filmed it and I know I could have gotten it and I didn't. And so, but at the same time, it also teaches you one to be creative and, you know, try to make things work with the pieces that you have, because often you'll never have everything you want. And then also for a filmmaker who also shoots their own stuff, it teaches them later to think more about, okay, what am I going to need or want? And what do I have the time and luxury for? So there's this weird balancing act that kind of goes on. But yeah, absolutely. It's frustrating. <laughs> um, I have a question for you, Azu. For um, when you're editing, do you prefer to have, well, I would guess you'd prefer to have more footage, but what change or what can you do when you have less footage than, you, than what would be ideal? I mean, when I have less footage, it's definitely more work more hours go into it because you're trying to edit around a lot of things that you might not have your it's I mean to me it's not really the most creative way to edit with less footage because you're just kind of fixing problems you're not really I mean, back to the analogy, like sculpting in a way, you're just more like putting tape everywhere and hopefully it looks good, you know? It's not gonna be how you picture it in your head. And sometimes that's scary, it's a lot of pressure because it's not your film, it's someone else's. And if that someone doesn't like how it looks like at the end, it's kind of your own fault. But you also can't really say much because you weren't there during like the production part like filming and everything um i mean but more footage is always the best way to go <laughs> definitely i think a couple episodes ago we were talking with mark um being a cinematographer and talking about you know what's good you know trying to get like exactly what you want as far as like the director you know shooting it the exact way that you imagine it in your head versus getting a bunch of coverage and trying to like overcompensate, you know, just in case that, you know, something isn't working. And what we talked about in that podcast was trying to find the balance uh, because, you know, if you're overshooting and you're over getting like too much coverage, then at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're going to spend a whole bunch of value, valuable time and money. Um, and if you just shoot the way you want, then, um, then like when you're editing, you know, if, if anything needs to change, you don't have that flexibility in that room. There definitely is that kind of balance. And I mean, definitely shooting the way you want, shooting the exact way you want can work, but like you have to make sure it works. And that kind of comes down to pre-visualization pre, pre too, I think. 
uh, storyboarding and maybe even um, doing animatics can help. Um, Chris, for you and I who have directed um, stuff as well, or more stuff than <laughs> Kenton and Azu, how how do we you know find that balance between you know getting the way we want and you know getting a lot of coverage? Ooh, I mean, I, I'm definitely guilty of only getting what I want and not getting enough coverage. Like that has just been traditionally what I've done because that's kind of like my personality and also well my fault to a, to a massive degree. But finding that balance, I think, is almost like developed over time. Because as you make more stuff, you kind of understand, okay, well, the things that are key now are much broader than what you originally thought they were when you first made your project. My first project I made, I did not get really a lot of coverage. When my second project, I got a little bit more. My third project, I got a little bit more. My fourth project, I got a little bit more. And so I think it kind of develops over time. And you kind of see both when you're making it and producing it, and then when you are editing it, where you're missing those key points. And then those key points become essential when you go and shoot the next time. So I think part of it is definitely developing that understanding in your head of how you're telling a story, but also listening to other people and listening and watching how other people shoot and how other people gather, you know, their footage to be able to cut something together. Yeah, I think you pretty nailed it. You know, finding those key points and making sure that you capture those the way you want to, I think is key. And then, you know, of course, cover your faces, get your wide, get your mediums, get your close-ups, but also, you know, really understand what are the key moments in the story so you can, you know, get a lot of coverage or get the perfect shot. I think that's key. I also have a question for Azu. I think this is something that as an editor, well, I, I would love to ask an editor. Um, how important is it for you to kind of like not know the context of the filming? Like, is it better for you not uh, not to know how something was shot so that way your, you know, your context is different when you're editing it? Or do you prefer to like know how it was shot, know what the story is, know what the script storyline is? That is such an interesting question. <laughs> um, okay. I usually... I read like the script once before I do anything. Um, and then that kind of, I guess just for me in my experience was kind of not such a great idea because when I read something, I kind of imagine it in my own head and it's like I'm editing in my own head and I like know how things look like. So when I get the footage and it's not how it looks in my head, I'm kind of like, oh, damn, I would have done it this way. <laughs> and so at those times, I do wish that I was like on set or like part of the production site to know how things were made to be like, oh, don't forget to get this shot or like try to get it this way. And like, no, no, don't reset, do another take, stuff like that. Um, so I don't really know, like, it could be beneficial, but then also it can also probably take away from like the creative side of it because sometimes when I just get footage and I don't know anything about it and I just have to kind of make the story just come out of nowhere is also really cool because you can impress people by it because people would know the context and they would never imagine 
something else coming from me, I guess. Like they would not have ever thought of doing it the way that I did. Mm. So there's positives and negatives. I, <laughs> I think that's a really interesting point because I've heard and I've seen, um, I mean, I've been on certain sets where the editor is actually part of the pre-production and part of the production and where they're watching and they're observing and they're, you know, commenting, Hey, maybe we should get this again. Hey, this is going to cut together in this way. And they have a much more collaborative role with the, um, with the above the line people like the director, for instance, so that they can make the story. But then I've also seen editors who just prefer not to have anything, like you said, and can really make a story kind of appear. And maybe it's a better story than what was written originally can kind of appear in the edit. So I think whatever an editor really does is kind of up to how much they're collaborating or working with, you know, their people. Because I think there is a difference between someone editing and like you're editing for a client versus your active creative collaborator with the production. And I think that changes based on the nature of the production. Yeah, I think, you know, of course, at the end of the day, the answer is it depends. <laughs> Azu, what do you think um, do like student student filmmakers miss when they're shooting something? Like, what's the one shot that you wish, or the most common shot that you wish that you had but isn't there? Um, I have to think about this. Huh? <laughs> well, while Azu thinks about it, why don't we ask you that question, Brendan, with your own films? What have you noticed has been the missing piece <laughs> in a lot of stuff? I think for me, it's really shooting more or getting more coverage of those key moments. Um, because I think what we were saying before, you know, you have this idea in your head, you know, and for me myself, you know, I tend to like shoot things the way I want to. Um, but if there's one thing off about that, or if it just doesn't work, then that moment can be lost, you know? It might be, you know, a little smile at, you know, when somebody makes a, a remark, you know, like it's just say it's a romantic moment or, you know, it could be like a really important um, moment in the character's internal mind. Like, you know, it could be like, you know, a little stare at the ground and then you miss it because you didn't plan for it. Or you didn't see that when you were writing it. You were like, you're like, oh, you know, the audience will get that he's thinking this way. But then when you shoot it and then you watch it back, it's like, this doesn't really come across because you didn't, <laughs> you didn't know that moment was there. Yeah, I would agree that coverage is really what is missed. And also just how many takes I receive. Because sometimes they'll be like, like you said, like a smile or something. And there's just only one take of it. And then I edit it and I'm like, well, that smile doesn't really fit. I wish that there was like a different kind of smile or like different takes of how people say their lines that could really help like form the story more. Just having that, those um, different, I guess, tones from the way that people say things mm -hmm. um, because that is what you can differentiate a movie from being funny from being sad definitely i think like the average shot count for student film is three takes per shot oh um, man i mean it's, yeah. it's not like the worst number it gives you options but it's also not a lot i think 
you know, five would be good for a student filmmaker if you can mm -hmm. afford it. But many times, I think anything less than three is uh, can be very difficult <laughs> to work with. <laughs> and I think it's like with my own stuff, I've noticed that I spend a lot. I spent a lot more time on more complicated shots. So let's say I had this like really complicated camera movement and all this other jazz and we got it like five times, right? But then on a dialogue scene, I didn't spend enough time to get coverage of someone talking, someone listening, someone talking, someone listening. It like the listening part is part of a conversation too. And that's where you get those like subtle, you know, facial expressions, movements, subtle mm -hmm. like body language things. Um, but when you don't spend enough time or don't give enough you know, takes to some of the things that seem a little bit more mundane, it doesn't help build up to the points that you're really focusing on. Like, oh, this is the shot. So <laughs> I think giving yourself enough time to get the things that you don't think are as important will really help you in the long run because you have a lot more options. And like, as he was saying, you can kind of rewrite the tone in certain moments if you have enough options. If you don't have the options, you can't create something out of midair. Yes. Kenton, any thoughts on that? I think for the take part for people, that I think it's always better to do more takes. I mean, you don't have to go extreme like Stanley Kubrick and go with like 140 per scene, but like <laughs> get enough to where you can actually give the editor something to work with. Yes. All right, moving on to um, at least when we're when we're in those stages, you know, the assembly, the rough, the fine, and then when you finally picture lock it. Um, how do those kind of work as far as like the quality and then um, collaboration? What do you mean by that? Like, what do you what do you have with the assembly? You know, and then like, how do you collaborate to get to the rough, the final, and then the picture lock? The assembly usually is. Um, what I make once I like, I read the script once and then I just put it together just kind of sloppily to just kind of get the basic story come across. And then um, from then on, I'll send it. And then um, usually it's like the director will see it and give me notes. And then from those notes, I'll just keep editing and fine tuning everything, sending it back. Or sometimes we'll watch it together be in the same room together and try different takes or different cuts and move stuff around, which is great because it's not linear editing anymore. So you can have more freedom with that. Um, and just communication is key when you're doing that stuff because if you're just not getting notes back or you're not asking questions on how you can better the edit, then it's not gonna work as well. <laughs> It's important to keep in touch. Yes. What are the kind of notes that are like helpful as to an editor? Um, notes like if the pacing is all right, if um, the emotion is coming across, um, making sure. I don't know, just, I mean, any notes in general, really, because, I mean, sometimes I might not know information that the directors know or the people know that 
are making the film. So anything that I need to know. Because, um, I mean, I'm assuming, like, an assembly cut is not going to be good enough because it's sloppy or... I mean, also, <laughs> if someone hears something that I don't hear, that could be really useful, too, because I'll just have to make sure that I fix that for the audio. Um, or if someone sees, like, a boom in the corner and I didn't catch that, that's a good note to get. Yeah. Definitely. I think, you know, the assembly is where like depression hits because, you know, like you said, it's put together sloppily and like you're like, oh no, this is what we shot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it gets me worried sometimes because I'm like, I know I'm supposed to just make this all sloppily and just get it done, but I don't know, like the perfectionist side of me kind of just like, oh, this is so bad. Like, I'm not a good editor. Like, this is never going to look good. Like, I can't do any better than this. I get worried. But then, you know, it takes time. It really does because you have to remind yourself that, like, this is not the finished product. Like, it obviously takes time. Like, this can't be done in a day. Like, it takes hours of work to be able to get somewhere. Definitely. Like, like you, what you said, you know, it takes time is probably, like, one of the most things that, or one of the most important things to keep in mind as an editor because, you know, if, especially if you like stick to like the, the, the assembly story, you know, it's, you need to refine that a lot to get it to like mm -hmm. a, a good quality rather than like, you know, you can, you know, you should take time to also like switch things around experiment um, with, you know, changing the order of scenes or changing the order of shots, how it appears uh, or when it appears because, you know, if you're if you're sticking to the assembly story, you know it it can it can get pretty pretty hard at least at least in my experience. You know, Chris, can you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think one of the best things about editing is like we were saying earlier is that you can essentially rewrite the story. Like you may have had scene A, B, C appear in that order, but then when you figure out, oh wait, actually this scene is much more powerful if I switch around A and B okay, well, this this totally sets a different tone now, and this totally gives me a new opportunity later down the line to do something else. I think the best part about editing is that you have the ability to write something again, and it gives you a lot more flexibility when you're willing to think outside of your original context, which to me is like super powerful because there's a lot of films of mine that have really benefited from really just switching around in order of how story appears. For... Um... Editing, when you like edit with the director, how would you deal with like an overbearing director? Like a director who thinks that he needs to be in like every single second of the entire edit process? Well, I haven't had that experience yet. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Good. So, I mean, I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, I guess I'd try to communicate with the director like well can we try to see it this way or let, let's let's see how this would look like and just try to convince them in a way like like okay you have this is your cut this is what we have done but i have done this let's see how this looks like just you know for giggles you know just to see <laughs> and sometimes like they'll they'll actually like it better and they'll be like oh that's actually really good. We should add it. So not attacking them in any way, <laughs> shape or form is best. Just try to 
be nice about it and be like, oh, well, I did it this way. Could we see it just so you can give me your thoughts on it, even though we already have what you wanted. And then if they like it, I guess they'll, they'll change their mind. At least that's <laughs> what I believe, you know? We'll see when that actually happens in my life. Hopefully, when, when it happens, you can let us know. What are some like important things to keep in mind before you show it to um, the producer or director? Um, I don't know. I usually just pray. <laughs> 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 I mean, making sure that um, the when you show them the the film, it's not, it doesn't start right away. I know that you have to put like um, a couple seconds in the beginning and at the end of just blackness so then it gives them time to actually go and feel the film um mm. making sure it's good quality it's not just pixelated characters <laughs> on screen um i mean that's all i've got <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely i think it's also you know something you should just also put on a, a lot too if it's dialogue footage if it's log footage, not dialogue, no. <laughs> or maybe you know, putting a time code on so you can timestamp certain shots, too. I think are good. Um, and then you know, if you're not in person, you can also use uh, Frame.io or you know Vimeo Pro, um, the review feature there to get notes on the um, on the films or well, if you know, I can say like cross country and then person can watch it and then like pause the screen, you know, type in a note um, when they have something. Um, what are some other good collaboration tools or things to keep in mind? Well, I mean, I haven't used Frame.io. I've heard things about it. I want to try it out one of these days. I've mainly just sent them through Google Drive. Um, or I've been fortunate enough that they're going to the same school as me. So we can just, you know, go to like a room and watch everything and collaborate there. Um, but yeah. Or Dropbox. Dropbox Definitely. is good too, right? <laughs> yep, Dropbox is good for syncing <laughs> files. I think the general thing um, is cloud-based storage and or accessible cloud-based storage where you can kind of have a record of things. Like It's important not to just send the same named file that then replaces another file. It's kind of important to have a record of, oh yeah, this is the first time I sent you this. This is after the first round of notes. This is the second round of notes. And so you can kind of see a progression. And then if you don't like something, you can go back and say, well, I liked in this version when this happened, and you can kind of talk about it in a little bit more detail. Um, and just kind of keeping Definitely. copies. And I, and, yes, enough of that. Create different sequences for different versions of your timeline. Yes. Yeah, don't just edit off the same timeline, please. <laughs> yes. They always make a copy and then edit off the new copy, please. Yes. <laughs> Going off of what like Kenton's question earlier of an overbearing director, um, Similar to that, you know, how do you work with a student that knows less or more than you as an editor? Or a, or a client or whatever. Um, I mean, again, communication is key. When someone doesn't or knows less than me, um, well, I would try to make them understand 
of what really goes on. Not use like fancy terminology, kind of like make it less academic, I guess, in a way that they can understand what's happening and what I do. And with someone who knows more than me, I mean, I would ask questions because the more knowledge you have is best, even for the person who knows more than you, because in a way that they are, they're also practicing the craft by explaining it to you. And sometimes I'll have to explain it to you like a, a, a less fancy version, you know, because <laughs> some people might not know the terminology like me. I didn't know any terminology. So I still don't know fully everything. Maybe but, do any of us. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think asking questions whenever you're like in doubt, it, we shouldn't be afraid to because we're all just trying to learn here. Definitely. How how do you practice your craft if no one sends you a project or no student comes to you and offers you to edit or wants you to edit their projects? I mean, I still do YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I film. And stuff. Even if I don't post it, I I just edit it just to keep um what I know fresh in my mind. And with like not only just one software, like all the softwares, like I've edited videos on Avid, Adobe Premiere, DaVinci, and that kind of helps me not forget what I've learned in all of those softwares. What are the differences in the softwares? Oh, wow. Well, DaVinci, the one that I've been recently using, has a lot. Like, you can edit and fix the audio and color correct all in one, which is great if it wasn't so glitchy. <laughs> 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 That's been causing me a lot of problems recently, but it's fine. It's good to learn. Um, Adobe, well, they have the, the cloud. So if you edit something in Premiere, you can send it to like Photoshop or send it to um, After Effects. Um, but then you still have to color correct somewhere else. Like they have color correction in um, Premiere, but I've been told that DaVinci is more, has a lot more things that you can do. And then in Avid, I mean, I have less experience with Avid, to be honest. Um, it kind of looks scary. It really does, like oh, <laughs> compared to like DaVinci or Adobe, it kind of looks like a machine. <laughs> but once you know like how to work it, it's pretty simple. Like it, it's just like, you know, like the buttons are like somewhere else, like it's organized differently. Um, I mean, but that one Avid is more of like the movie standard editing software for like feature films and stuff. Um, yeah. 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 Yes. I think Avid is definitely more, um, well, at least easier to use as far as like collaboration between two computers or different um, areas. Um, in my opinion, you know, I, I, I edit on Adobe, so that's my preference. But, um, you know, you can do a lot there. Of course, like as you said, you can, you can outsource it to After Effects or I forget the exact um, Adobe audio editing software. Um, audition. Yeah, yes, Audition. Um, you know, where you can do a lot of stuff. But yeah, the color grading, you know, export the timeline to DaVinci Resolve, and then <laughs> that's a lot better. <laughs> but of course, oh. you know, um, Avid and Adobe cost money. DaVinci is, uh, the baseline is free. But if you want to do 4K or anything above 4K, you have to pay. Um, 
So if you went like true 4K, um, like for 4096, then yeah, they pay for that. Um, the timeline for the free version goes up to 3840 by 2160. Um, and then, you know, more advanced effects like the, the denoising um, effect, effects on DaVinci, you need the studio version. But it's one time um, pay and you get it for life. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Uh, so Azu, um, I would like to ask a question about, um, as a student editor, how important is it for you to learn like a, a diverse body of editing knowledge? So let's say, right, let's say that someone films a bunch of stuff on a green screen. Like, do you need it? How do you, important is it to know that? How important is it to know color? How important is it to really know story editing? And then when you encounter something that you may not know the direct answer to, how important is it for you to go and find that knowledge? Or how do you, you know, expand your body of knowledge if you don't know how to do something specific? I mean, it's very important because, I mean, if you don't know, you're not going to have a job, basically. I mean, <laughs> everything, technology moves so quickly. It's very important to know or to keep up to date with, like, everything. I mean, I have a hard time of doing that even sometimes, but you have to try to know what's in, like, um, depending on, like, the editing softwares that people use also. Like, some are strictly for just they use Adobe and then some strictly use Avid. Um, so it's nice to know different softwares in case you do find yourself having a job that only uses one specific software. Um, what was the other question? Oh, like if you don't know how to like, let's say key out a green screen, like how do you find that information? YouTube. <laughs> YouTube is a great help. People out there really know their stuff. Um, I just Google everything, watch tutorials. Um, it's really helped a lot because you could always go back to that video and watch it again and again if you forget. But I mean, as you're going through with the tutorial, you kind of learn it and then you always have that knowledge with you. All right. I have a couple more questions and then we can do one last question round and then yeah, ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's important or something that would be really helpful um, as an editor is to understand music for pacing. Um, because I, know, I, I am very particular about that. Like I, I can like feel things down to like a frame. It's like, no, that doesn't feel right. No, okay, I need a frame here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I used to do percussion in my, um, my academy and that's why I'm kind of particular about that. Uh, but knowing, listening to music, I think is a great way to feel out the pacing of a, of a scene. And what else was going to say? I don't know. Tell me nothing else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. No, right, I so... agree with you, though. Because, I mean, now, as I've seen, like, editors are not just editing anymore. They're also like color correcting. They're doing stuff with the audio and the music. They're becoming more now, like more, I guess, well-rounded in a way. So it's important to know kind of all aspects of it. And like music is, goes into that also. Of course, yes. Um, other resources for editors, you know, can be um, sound libraries, you know, um, music libraries, um, stock footage libraries, 
those can all be very helpful, especially if you're doing commercial. I think um, sound effects are a huge aspect of um, building um, up the the film. So, Kenton, you want to like speak about maybe the importance of of sound in the in the post production process? Oh, well, I mean, mute your TV and watch a movie. See how fun it is then. <laughs> I mean, basically, you once you mute your TV or whatever you're watching on, your movie gets a lot more boring, especially if it's just a drama where it's all based on dialogue. You have nothing without the audio. So that's one aspect of it. But I would say for sound effects, they're really needed, especially in certain genres of movies, like any superhero movie, any sci-fi movie, like... Imagine Star Wars without a lightsaber, like, it just doesn't sound right. Or, like, imagine a TIE fighter without that elephant noise coming through it. Like, it, you just don't get that feel. Or, say, in, like, the Avengers, like, imagine, like, all of those super huge explosions just being, like, pew. <laughs> like, you need some, <laughs> like, the sound gives these movies the depth that they need and, like, they make it, they match the hugeness of what's happening on screen and they just try and amplify it to where you're feeling it in your ears and in your eyes at the same time. Yes, definitely. I think it's also important, you know, not to, when you're building your sound design, not to only just look at what's on screen, but also think about what's there around in the environment too, to try mm -hmm. and give some um, you know, other depth to it, like you said. Yeah, like I have a really good example of this. Like in The Dark Knight Rises, they have Bane versus Batman in the fight scene. And they to make Bane seem more intimidating, they have his footsteps be louder than Batman's in that scene mm. because he has the power in that scene. And it's just a really cool sound thing that it's you really don't notice unless you try and hear it, but it you like subconsciously hear it. And it makes it yeah. like just make more sense in the end product. I think that's kind of the beauty of sound is that just like with visuals, you can have a lot of subtlety and a lot of nuance because when people think of sound effects, they think of like those big things. Oh, what does a lightsaber sound like? What does a gunshot sound like? But sound effects, fully ambience, all that other jazz that kind of creates the presence of the world. There's a lot of nuance that goes into the really soft, really quiet, really mundane things that you would expect to hear. And like Kenton was saying, if you amplify some of those aspects, you can kind of direct the attention or like help push the tone in a certain way so that the audience understands okay this is what i'm supposed to be feeling and they do it on a subconscious level and like kenton was also saying um and we've said in the past sound is half the film it like you you turn off you turn off the visual and you just have the sound it doesn't feel the same you turn off sound and just have the visual it doesn't feel the same it's very very important to have the auditory kind of like experience of what you're supposed to be feeling and where you're supposed to be feeling it. Nice. All right. Moving on to the next question. Um, when you're editing, you need a system, <laughs> a computer. Um, what are some specs that are, you know, required for, or what are the recommended specs of a computer? Listen, <laughs> I have gone through college without a laptop, so I might not be the best person to be asking this question. I have been blessed with a department that lets me use 
their computers, their systems, you know? Um, I mean, but the basic is just having a computer or a laptop that you can edit with. Um, having enough storage or an external drive to have your stuff in. Um, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I've learned about things that the computer has, but I'm not too into it or I don't have enough information to give someone. I know that RAM is needed. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. You need a good graphics card. Mm -hmm. um, yes. <laughs> Let's dive into I, that. Can I answer a little I, bit yeah. here? Go for it. So I would say bare bones, you should probably have a f at least a four core processor and then easily 16 gigabytes of RAM if you want to be editing 4K footage. And I would suggest probably more if you can afford it. You need a graphics card. So when you're building your computer, you want to have your graphics card at least be half the price of the computer, pretty much, to have it be equal in power to what you're making. And then you would preferably want solid state storage drives, which are drives that are internal and they don't have a um, mechanical, mechanical like motor in them so they are harder to break and then you want to have as much external storage as you can get to because you want to have your projects in more than one spot at once and that's why the cloud's important because you should be storing your stuff on external drives external hard drives that you can you know have multiple copies of but then always have it in the cloud as well because if all of those drives fail if your if your computer dies, you still have it somewhere else. Yes, I would say going off of that, you should at least have an eight core processor, um, because for those that don't know, like the processor affects the render time, the render speed, and just like how things run in general. So mm -hmm. the more cores you have, the, the better, faster it'll go. The faster it'll go. Right? <laughs> and of course, with that, the cores have their own speed. So you know, an an eight core uh, processor at a high speed might run faster than you know a ten core processor at a low speed. So mm -hmm. you know, um, there's balances to that. Um, your RAM is your temporary storage. So if you have a large, um, you know, visual effects thing with you know a bunch of different layers and that all need to render, you know, you need RAM to in order to keep all of those things good, so you have easy playback. Um, graphics card is important, like you're saying, to have a good image and to have, um, you know, Not good have your quality. computer overheat at 4K. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, um, yeah. And then the graphics card has its own RAM in there as well. DaVinci mm -hmm. is more GPU based, so at least for effects. So definitely have a good graphics card with um, a decent amount of graphics RAM, um, whereas something like uh, Premiere or After Effects runs more on the processor and the actual RAM. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think MacBooks have a designated graphics card. I think it all runs through the processor. Um, uh, for MacBooks, I think you're right. But for iMacs, I know they have a graphics card in them. Yeah. Um, anyway, if your computer doesn't have a graphics card, everything runs through the processor. So if, it, if that's the case, 
you need a good processor with a good cooling system. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, just to kind of like put it out there if your computer is running hotter than it usually does that probably is a good sign that you're really stressing the system um, yeah. so mm -hmm. if you have the opportunity and the access to more resources where you can edit or let's just say like you're trying to like you're editing on a really low end way and then you're exporting its full version with all its glory and power maybe export it somewhere that has a little bit more processing power and a little bit more ability to handle such a thing yep um so with that um yeah you need a good processor recommended 16 gigabytes of ram if not more G good graphics card i prefer nvidia um amd has some good ones too um yeah like you're saying your hard drives you have solid slate versus hdd um solid slates are smaller and more expensive so that's <laughs> of course you know the more expensive stuff is what's recommended um for that, you know, you also have, I mean, Lacey is a good um, company for hard drives. You have Lacey RAID systems, um, and you have, you know, Regid for external. And of course, your monitor, you know, make sure it has a good contrast ratio, good refresh rate. And I dived into how accurate color is on monitors. Like, I spent like a week just researching it. Holy crap. Um, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. And in short, there's sRGB monitors, Rec. 709, color space, as well as DCI-P3. Mm -hmm. um, Rec. 709 is for TV broadcast. DCI-P3 is for um, projection. And sRGB is more for photo. Um, you wanna, you, and there's also monitors that have HDR versus like SSS something. Um, <laughs> if, you're, if your monitor has HDR, that'll bloom up the contrast a lot. So that's not really the most accurate color. Um, so Rec. 709, basic, yeah, is good. The basic thing is try if you know where your footage and everything is going to end up, try to edit in something or with a monitor that will give you as accurate of color and contrast and you know everything else to whatever it's going to be projected to or to whatever it's going to show. You generally want to color it that way. Yeah. Nowadays, that mostly means it's going to be played on the Mac, so color it on the Mac <laughs> um, for low stuff. All right. Um, any last questions, comments, thoughts, concerns about editing or post-production? Uh, yeah, one last thing to kind of like add to that list of things you should edit with. Um, buy decent headphones. Like I know oh. everyone doesn't have the ability to maybe buy a full speaker system that would really you know help them edit sound, but at least buy a good pair of headphones that you can kind of edit sound with because it's going to be really hard for you to differentiate a lot of the nuances of sound if you're not hearing it. That's it. Thanks once again to Chris, Kenton, and Azu for joining me in the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it and you listen to more.